listening to the weekly podcast presented by the Lighthouse Midlothian. For more information, please visit us at www.dfwlighthouse.org. Thank you and God bless. Sometimes we're in a situation where you know, we're trying to come together, and we think we're doing the right thing, and then the test comes, and we lean on that thing, and it starts falling apart, and we're like, oh my goodness, we need help. All right, who, who here needs some help? I know I need some help. I always need help, people. If you think that just because I'm a pastor that I don't need help, you're lying to yourself, and you're putting me, giving me too much credit, because all of us need help. We need each other. So let's pray real quick. Father, we're so thankful for your presence in our lives. We're so thankful that we get to meet here together this morning. So many people around the world that don't get that privilege. Lord, people in China, people in Afghanistan. Lord, people because of COVID restrictions aren't allowed to meet. All over the world, the one thing they want to do this morning is meet. And Lord, we're so thankful that we have that privilege, God. We're so thankful that we can be here together, joining in your fellowship. We don't take that for granted. Lord, I ask that your word go forth, that your heart is communicated, because honestly, it's all about you, Lord. All we want is more of you. We lift you up in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's recap real quick where we've been the last couple weeks. This is the third part of a three-part series called Some assembly required. All right, we talked about the definition of fellowship, um, and we had all these laundry lists of words about what that definition um, looked like, and, you know, association, community, you know, intimacy, partnership, all of that, assembly. Then we kind of joined all that into, like, our own definition, um, and basically what that, our definition is a community of people, groups, or entities Wherewith they share a common good, it's more than a meeting. It is an intimate joining of, sh- of souls sharing life together. Then we talked about the three fellowships of God. We talked about the word, the spirit, and the body. And how it's cyclical. How God gives us his word. He illuminates that word by his spirit. And he tests that word with us, with, with each other. Because a lot of time we're like, man, I heard from God. And then we're like sharing this with other people and then someone that has more wisdom is like, and, and boldness is just like, oh, I don't think that's God. I think that was just like a bad pizza dream or something. Like you need to, you need to let's get back in the word because honestly, the more time we're with people who know the word, it, it, bring, it always brings it back to God. It brings us back to Jesus. And we have to understand and get a foundational understanding that the word of God is authoritative. It is without error. Because if you have the attitude that, you know what, those were people just talking to things about their time and their situations and we're in a modern era and we're dealing with modern issues and some of that doesn't really apply to us, we're going to be in very murky territory. We have to all come onto the agreement that the word of God is authoritative, not just for 2,000 years ago, but for today too. Because when, uh, when we can all come into agreement with that, it makes our fellowship that much sweeter and accepting that, okay, well, you know what, God, I believe it because you say it even if I disagree with it. Because there's going to be times when your flesh is just like, I don't want to believe that. Because this other thing over here, this feels good. This feels reasonable. And sometimes the word of God just like kind of punches you in the face and just like, actually, you're wrong. I love you, but you're wrong. And we have to accept that the word of God is authoritative. All right, some of the reasons why we don't meet together. All right, we talked about that disappointment, feeling rejected, dismissal. We have distractions and we have deception in our lives that can creep in at any moment. All right, we talked about those are the reasons why we don't meet together or join together. Then we, last week we talked about the IKEA method of building the church. We need inclusion we need kindness, we need encouragement, and we need accountability, all right? And then we, I, I gave you this box and said uh, these pieces kind of form the framework 
to house God's glory. The purpose is to create a collective habitation, the church, for God's glory to dwell. All right? So that's where we've been the last two weeks. Now we're going to move forward. All right? We're going to define glory this morning. Who here likes God's glory? All right? I've heard, like, all the time, I just want to be in the glory cloud of God. Praise Jesus. And honestly, it's a great place to be. All right? If you haven't been in that place, it's a great place to be. All right? But the glory of God, all right, there's four types of glory in the Bible. All right? If we think that it's just this emotion, all right, that is a very limited, not wrong, but limited understanding of God's glory. All right? So the first type of God's glory is the visible manifestation of God. All right, that's maybe defined by the radiance of God. All right, Moses, when he said to God, show me your glory, and God passed by him, and then his face shone. It radiated, it shined. All right, the, the Bible's full of descriptions of God's glory in the sense of this, this shining that takes place, the visible manifestation through the radiance of God. Then we have the weight assigned to God, his will, his ways, his word. The weightier more important than anything else, all right? Well, all right, we, we, anybody here watch Hunger Games? Anybody ever seen Hunger Games? So we're doing like a movie marathon, and we're watching Hunger Games in our, in our family, and just kind of going back, we do these movie marathons every once in a while. And we just had a fun time yesterday afternoon watching the second Hunger Games movie, all right? And, and, but, and, but that is just a fun thing to do. That is not a weightiness, that is not an importance in your life. If all I am is like looking forward all week to the time I get to watch Hunger Games, I'm in a bad place because I'm not assigning the weightier things in my life to God. I'm assigning it to, to an event or I'm assigning it to a pleasure or privilege. All right, so we need to understand that there's a weight assigned to God. That's his glory, his will, his ways, his word. Then we have the opinions expressed about God. All right, people glorify God when we obey him. Did you know that? When we obey God, the world gives God glory. All right, John 17, 4, all right? It basically says, Jesus is saying, I've completed your work and the world will give you glory. The opposite of that is Romans 2, 24, where the people of the world blaspheme the name of God because we break his commandments. So we can either, the world can either give God glory based on the way his church is acting or the world can blaspheme the name of God because of the way the church is acting. So we can take glory away, or we can give it. And a lot of times, we, we take the glory away from God because we're placing it ourselves. Oh, look at me. Look what I did. Social media is one of the biggest culprits in this. Social media, the whole purpose of social media is look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Look at my opinions. Look at what I do in my life. Look at my wonderful babies. I love baby pictures. You guys are awesome with your baby. I just love Silas pictures online. I'm just like scrolling. It's like, oh, that's so cute. Like, scroll, like. But we can't have a social media mentality when it comes to God. Because it's not all about me. Christianity is not us-centric. It is God-centric. All right, if we're making it about us, we're taking the glory away from God and the world is looking and they're, and they're blaspheming the name of God. It's like, oh, those Christians are just all about themselves. They don't even care about God. They don't care about anybody else. But when we obey God, it causes the glory of the people on the earth to rise up. All right, the fourth is the work performed by God. His mighty acts are glorious. He chooses to do them through us. And this is where we might call the glory cloud, where where the, the miracles of God take place, where people are being heal, healed and saved and, and these awesome signs and wonders are taking place. But as you can see, that's a very limited view of God's glory. But in all of those circumstances, God's glory works through people. You, do you see this? All right, if you read the New Testament, all right, every time God does a glorious thing is through people. In the Old Testament, every time God reveals his glory, it's either through people or to people. God is not going to show off his glory outside of people. Yeah, he does glorious things. 
But if something glorious is happening in your life, you have to think about it. More than likely, it's happening because of an individual or people in your life. So so we're going to be talking about glorious relationships. That's what this box is. All right, when we, when we do church the way God intended, it creates glorious relationships. What's the name of our church? Lighthouse. Lighthouse. All right, Lighthouse shines forth as a beacon. All right, that's how we actually got our name as the Lighthouse. All right, we are a light to the community to show off the glory of God, to burn brightly. All right, now, This doesn't mean a literal sense of shining and burning brightly. It doesn't mean we just set the whole thing ablaze and watch it burn and be like, okay, everybody come to church. Now, if you're a pyro and you're like, ooh, that sounds cool, then, you know, just keep it to yourself. But God's talking about a people that are shining brightly, a people that are glorious. Bill Vanderbush, in the beginning of August, he came and he he basically said, he's like, "Tell tell your spouse that they're glorious. All right, honestly, look to the person next to you and just tell them, you're glorious. You're glorious. In case you feel like really condemned right now or you're full, you're just under all this oppression, just remember you're glorious because you're part of God's church and God's church is glorious, all right? We want the glory of God to dwell with us. All right, remember, no schemes of hell can prevail against the church, God's building his church, and he says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. All right? Local churches will open and close all the time, but the church will stand. Anybody see Fast and Furious? Anybody? Anybody ever see The Chosen? All right? Well, I've, I've summed up all of this glorious relationships with a meme, so let's show that. All right? Nothing can defeat the power of God's family, all right? Absolutely nothing can de- defeat the power of God's family. <laughs> if you understand it, you understand it. If you don't, you'll get it later. All right. We've discussed things getting in the way of us engaging as a family, the way we should engage as a family. Now let's dig into what are these glorious relationships that God has for us? What are these glorious relationships All right, the disciples, they went through a relational process with Jesus. All right, it wasn't just like Jesus, you know, just kind of walked on by every once in a while, gave an encouraging word, and kept going. No, he walked the disciples through a process because he's building his church through them. He wanted them to be the model. All right, so step one, they learned from Jesus. They sat at his feet and they learned from him. He was the teacher, they were the students. All right, then as, as more revelation came into their life, they, they kind of got promoted, so to speak, from, from student to now they're practicing out the lessons that they're being taught. They're going out two by two. Then step three, once Jesus ascended, now that they've learned and now that they've practiced, now they literally have become the hands and feet of Jesus, doing the works of him throughout the earth. Galatians 3, 23 through 24 says, But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which, we, which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But, our, but our, after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. All right? We have to be kept under the teaching of the truth of God until the truth of God becomes an inner reality to us. Once that inner reality has been tried and found true, we're then capable of teaching others and thus expanding the kingdom continually. One of my follies as an early Christian was being saved and having this real excitement for God. You know, it's kind of like when you first start, you know, courting your spouse and you're just excited and it's romantic and it's fiery and passionate and, and all you want to do is talk about them and everybody around you is like, I'm tired of you talking about them all the time. I was, I was just like fiery. But I neglected sitting under the teachings of Jesus. So some of that fiery passion, like some people took it the wrong way. It wasn't, and 
Honestly, I was like, well, if you don't like what I have to say, that's on you. And I just beat people up over the head with my passion for God. Now, passion for God is great. It's a good thing. But we have to link that with sitting under the teaching and getting that foundation. Because once we get that foundation, once that teaching is tried and true, because God tests us. You guys understand that your, your faith is tested. That happens. Patience is a testing of faith. Are we going to keep following God or are we going to, are we going to step away? All right? So once we can teach, we can then perpetuate the kingdom. And this is not a formula. It's process. That process takes time. Remember the video of the Ikea builders. You had two couples, the ones that just met and the ones that have been together for 10 years. All right? They had the same instructions and the same amount of time to work it all out. But one couple finished first and did it accurately, while the other couple didn't really finish on time, and then their, their whole thing just fell apart. All right? It takes time. This isn't like a um, one step, like, you know, all these, if I just put these steps into action today, it's going to yield immediate results. In our lives, we want immediate results. All right, we call that get rich quick, right? We're just like, I want immediate results. But you, all right, think about lottery for a second. All right, have you ever thought about what happens to people after they win the lottery? You ever thought about that? Uh, I knew of one person, uh, they just, they read, they wrote these articles about this one person, and it said the lottery ended up ruining them because they got millions and millions of dollars, but they didn't have a millionaire mindset to handle that. So, I, so whenever you're leaving a legacy to your children, don't just leave them a bunch of money, leave them the, the mindset on how to handle that money so it doesn't ruin them. The glory of God will ruin you if you don't know how to steward it. It's ruined a lot of people. All right, over the years, countless ministers have fallen because the glory of God came, but they didn't have the foundation, the character. They didn't have the integrity to carry it forward. Truly gifted people, the glory of God, the anointing of God was on their lives. But it, but it, but it ruined them because they, they were like, oh, they, they made it all about what God does and not a, does through them rather than in them. All right, this relationship process is about becoming glorious, accepting your role as a disciple, eventually leading to making disciples. So let's dig into what this process is. Let's start with, um, let's start with disciples. All right, disciples. I'm going to be giving you guys some very hard scriptures. All right, and um, this is going to be our focus when we're talking about being a disciple. Obey your spiritual leaders. And do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be to your benefit, Hebrews 13, 17. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, In the same way you, are, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Titus 3, 1, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey and to be ready for every good work. You see the role of a disciple is not to rebuke the leader every chance they get when the leader is wrong. The role of a disciple is to learn. The role of a disciple is to glean. If we are always finding fault with our leaders and not willing to pay attention to what the, the good stuff that's coming out of them, like we're, we're setting ourselves up for failure. A lot of times we're like, oh, man, you said all this good stuff, but then this one thing, you're wrong, and we throw the baby out with the bathwater. And then we, we, we try to usurp the authority. Anytime you're in a place of usurping someone's authority, let me just suggest you're probably on some shaky ground because God resists the proud. That is, that's hard to stomach sometimes because if... I, if you're like me and you're honest with yourselves, I'm, I'm asking, I'm like, man, I was proud this week and I was proud yesterday and I was proud this time and this time and all these times I'm just like, I just forced my own will, forced my own agenda, all right? Examples of leaders in our lives, teachers, bosses, coaches, pastors, parents, mentors, etc. You can probably think of other leaders in your life, all right? And the thing about disciples, 
All right, don't tune me out yet. There's this really dirty word I'm going to teach you this morning. You guys ready to learn a dirty word? The word is submit. All right? Some of you are like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe you said submit in church. Y'all are going to go home and be like, man, Chris used the S word in church. Oh, my goodness. Submit. It's a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. Obedience. All right? There, there are people who are further along in our faith journey. Let me just put it to you real, real simple. There's people who know more than I do. And there's probably people who know more than you do. And that doesn't mean you're dumb. It doesn't mean that you're a failure. It, it means that we need help. It means that we need each other. We need leaders of, in our lives, people that deserve our respect because they're further along in our faith journey. All right? Pete and Sharon are further along in their faith journey than I am. So whenever Sharon rebukes, I'm just like, man, that's like just a sweet aroma of the Lord. I'm like, thank you, Miss Sharon, for your rebuke. That was amazing. Sorry to pick on Miss Sharon. I love you. Thanks for sharing. All right. <laughs> but there's people further along, and you need people in your lives that you can look up to, that you're willing to learn from. That, and we should all have somebody that's over us to help us out, because there's always someone further along, always. Right, a lot of people, they want to be their own boss because they don't want to answer to anybody. If the reason you want to start your own business because you don't want to answer to anybody, then you need to really, really reevaluate what your intentions are. Because we're always going to be answerable to somebody. There's not a single one of us that's just this lone wolf doing our own thing our own way. All right, I'm answerable to a host of people. Some of that is voluntary, some of it has been through jobs, some of it through just organic relationships. But I have put myself in a position of humility because I want to grow. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be stuck in the same old ruts all the time. I want to grow, and I want people to, like, pull me up. All right? Pride says, I'm never wrong. You can't teach me anything. I'm going my own way. Humility says, I'm a human, which means I'm subject to error. All right, I still have things to learn and I need help. Disarming the people God places over us may seem cool and feel right. We have a whole culture that says it is cool to dishonor our authority figures. All right, some of you parents are like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> some of you are like, man, I was watching SpongeBob the other day. I know that's right. I'd be watching Caillou, man, that kid is a brat. Let me tell you a quick story of high school. So my sister, she was in Spanish, and she was just a fantastic student all around. All right, so my older brother, he was just, he just didn't take school seriously, and I always knew the teachers I had who had my brother or who had my sister, because whoever had my brother, they thought I was peaches. Then whoever, and then if I had a teacher who had my sister first, they were like, why can't you be like your sister? And I was just somewhere in the middle. I was just like, I just like having a good time, people. I'm just like, I just like, I want to have a good time. So Spanish, I had a teacher who really hated my sister. And that was really new for me because every teacher loved her. She was, like, teachers in the room, she was the golden student that you're just like, oh, my goodness, I just want to give you everything because you just make my life so wonderful. <laughs> All right? And so she had spent months on this project. And you had basically, like, she went above and beyond. Like, she, she, she was just supposed to make a video to say, like, three sentences in Spanish. And she decided to do this, like, this whole infomercial, like five minutes long, all in Spanish. She's just this overachiever. And the Spanish teacher was just like, that's too good of Spanish for you to know, and failed her. All right? And my sister was devastated. She's like, I put in the word. I wasn't just like copying cards. I memorized all this stuff. But the Spanish teacher was just like, no, there's no one, there's no one that speaks English natively and speaks Spanish as good as you do. You must have cheated. So fast forward to the next year. And I'm, you know, little brother, you know, feeling like all like vengeful and I'm gonna, you know, take it out on this teacher on behalf of my sister. So Senora Hines was her name and, and she was just like, all right, you shall call me uh, Senora Hines. I was just like raising my hand. I was like, what if I call you Mrs. Hines? 
what if I just forget Spanish and I just accidentally call you Mrs. Science? She's like, no, it's Senora Hines. And then I'm sure you can probably think of the word Hines and how that can turn into to other things. And so I, I turned that name into other things. I'm just like, and publicly in the middle of class was like basically making fun of her. And because I was just like, because I'm in the right. She did my sister wrong, I'm going to do her wrong. Well, it didn't really turn out well for me, as you might suspect. So <laughs> I got sent to the principal's office. Um, I got taken out of class. And my buddy and I, who, like, specifically took this class together, so we have a class together, he's like, dude, how come, like, you just, you just got to be right all the time, don't you? And I was like, yeah, it feels good. And then later on, after you think about it, you're like, wow, that didn't really feel good all that much, especially when you face the consequences of being prideful. And I had to face those consequences and ended up in a Spanish class without my buddy that was really boring. And, I'm, and basically everything that I wanted that year just didn't turn out well because I chose to be prideful. All right, we have things to learn whether they're good leaders or bad leaders. Anybody ever have a bad boss? Guess what? If you honor that boss, God will honor you because God's going to teach you something even through the bad bosses. I've had some bad bosses. And God can teach you like a lot of things and prosper you by honoring that authority. All right, I used to rebel against everything. I just always questioned everything and I seldom followed. And that's part of, because I grew up that way. I was just like, I just questioned authority. I didn't like authority um, because there was no authority, I thought, in my life that, that did me well. So I'm just going to rebuke, I'm just to rebel against it. And that was my default until I had some really hard lessons. And even as, after I was a Christian, there was this children's pastor that I constantly rebelled against. She was like, do this. And it wasn't even like bad things she was asking me to do, not even hard things. I was just thought I was right. And it ended up turning really bad for me until I repented and then went back to that children's pastor later on and said, I'm sorry for the way I acted. And then when I honored her, even when I didn't agree with her decisions, I still honored her and God blessed me tremendously as a result. Pride has always hurt me. Humility has always benefited me. Always. It is hard, people. It is hard to honor someone that you don't respect. It is hard to honor somebody that you just, you just know they are not doing the right thing, all right? But my default now is as long as that leader does not ask me to endanger my integrity, I'll probably do it. Now, if they're asking me to do something that's against the word of God, I'm just like, sorry, I honor God first and foremost. But if they're asking me to like work another shift that I just didn't plan on doing, I was like, you know what? God's gonna honor me by honoring this person. It may be hard in the moment, but God's going to ask you to do some things with some people that you don't like, and it's part of our testing. Are we actually going to work out that salvation with fear and trembling, that sanctification, becoming more like Christ? So let's talk about what it's like to learn from peers. We talked about as disciples, how do we treat our leaders? Let's talk about how we treat our peers. All right, as, iron sharp, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend, Proverbs 27, 17. May God give, <laughs> here's that patience thing again. May God who gives patience, steadiness, and encouragement help you to live in complete harmony with each other, each with the attitude of Christ toward each other, Romans 15, 5. Right, we already talked about when the disciples went out two by two, the Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit, Luke 10, 1. All right, never do your faith journey alone, ever, 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 ever. If you're like, you know what, I just want to like go and explore and do things, take someone with you. I want to go on a mission trip, take someone with you. Don't ever do things by yourself. You may be an introvert and you're like, well, I don't like people. Like, I really like being by myself and I like doing my own thing. Let me, let me just encourage you. Like, God wants you to have someone that will lift you up in those times. Because when you're by yourself, you are, we talked about that last week you're more likely to fall. You're less likely to succeed in your relationship with God. So have people in your life that will go with you. Examples of peers, partners, spouses, friends, associates, brothers and sisters. All right, when we sharpen each other, uh, this is our second one, sharpen. All right, we help each other make adjustments. We grind out each other's rough spots. I don't know about you, but I got some rough spots. Sometimes I don't think before I talk. And some of you are like, amen, Chris. All right, 
we, we test that edge, all right, our effectiveness. We test that with peers, all right. We increase our performance and optimize strength. This is what happens when iron sharpens iron. There is friction that takes place, and that friction can be a good thing, all right. You're like, hey, let's do this, and someone comes along and is like, no, let's not do that. And then you're like, well, I want to do this. And then there becomes like some friction. But when that friction becomes holy, both of you are growing in Christ. Spouses, would you agree that there's some friction that happens in your relationships? Yes. You don't have to raise your hands, but you acknowledge what I'm saying. Yes. All right. Don't just, <laughs> don't just quit because there's friction. Just because it's hard, God does not tell you to quit. In fact, sometimes I'll dig my heels in more because it's hard. Because I'm like, God has never told me to quit just because I suffer. The worthwhile things in life, worth, they're worth having, they're hard. And when you learn how to come alongside someone to attain that, to fight for that, that is a good thing, people. And then you're like, man, that suffering was worth it because now I have this wonderful thing. Right, we challenge each other. We spur one another on. We protect each other. We care for one another. I had a friend in Houston. His name was Guy. And we, um, I worked in chemicals and like basically as a tech, chemical technician, and he worked for fire safety. And we had um, similar schedules. So like during the day, because we both worked um, at the time, I was at Sam's Club, and then I switched to chemical technician. Don't ask me how that transition happened. It was a God thing. Um, but our, when our schedules lined up, we started doing, like, almost daily Bible studies together. One time, we did a 13-hour Bible study of one chapter of Scripture. And then we would do men's ministry together. And we would, I mean, we were like, if I would say I ever had, like, a, a best friend, so to speak, during that season, he was my best friend, apart from my wife, who's always been my best friend. Love you, baby. All right? But, I mean, we spurred one another on. There was things he knew. There was things I knew. And I was just hungry and thirsty. I'd only been saved for about a year. I was just like, I just want someone to get, get in this with. And, like, every time that I was wrong, he would gently be like, hey, maybe we should look at it this way. What do you think about this? And then any time that he was wrong, I'd be like, hey, what do you think about this? And those, that relationship became such a holy thing. And I grew so much exponentially during that time. I read through the Bible like three times in a year because I had that person that was like spurring me on. I could not get enough of God. So you, all of us, need people in our lives that are going to spur one another on. All right? Those are really godly relationships. I need to practice my faith, faith walk with people. I need to go to street church. I need to go to the prisons. I need to go to, you know, outside in the community. I need to meet people at the coffee bar. You know, talk to people in the neighborhood across the street. But I'm not going to go by myself. I'm going to have someone with me that can, I can practice with. Uh, there should be other, and they should be people in similar life stages. People that will push us, encourage us, confront us. All right. I'll give you another picture. Anybody see Lord of the Rings? All right. You remember Gimli? You remember Legolas? All right, and every time they would battle on how many orcs they killed? All right, throughout three movies, that's all they battled on was how many orcs they killed. All right? But because they spur, spurred one another on, they killed more orcs because they wanted to compete with each other. All right? I had a buddy that I used to work with as a chemical technician. His name was Mario. And we, would, we had this, this kind of, I would say a competition, but I hate to use that word in this context. But we're like, yeah, that person, I, I shared the, the word of the Lord with a, with a person today. He's like, yeah, well, I shared the word of the Lord with two people today. And like, we would like spur and make it like a, this fun competition. Like, and because we had the, each other, we were sharing the word with more people than we would have otherwise. You feel me? Have those someone in your life that you can have a, not all competition is bad. Competition in the right context is a good thing. You can accomplish a lot more. That's why, like, one can put 1,000 in flight, two can put 10,000. There's a multiplication effect because we spur one another on. All right. Lastly, there's the people who are leaders. All right. 
Tim said, I don't know if this was last week or the week before, you're a leader. All of us have people that we're leading. And we, and we should have these three relationship structures in all of our lives. People that we are leading, people that are our peers, and people like we're learning from who are our leaders. So leaders, I'm talking to you specifically now. All right, let's get in the scriptures. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many, Matthew 20, um, 26 through 28. All right, the word for this is serve. Disciples submit, peers sharpen, and leaders serve. All right, Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others, be humble, thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Take an interest in others. All right, some of our disciples in our lives are our children, our mentees, our employees. All right, Tim was talking about how all the management experience he has. He has a, a bunch of employees he has to look after. A lot of you are parents. Coach, all right, you're, you're, you're maybe a coach and you have all these people, kids that are under you that are trying to learn how to do that sport. All right, members of your organization, students in your classroom. These are all types of disciples. All right, after we've been taught and have gone through some practice, we're ready to become a leader. All right, you're not born a leader. Let me say that again for those of you that are in this culture today. You're not born a leader. You become a leader based on going through the process. All right, you're not, you don't, a leader has people following them. You're not born out of, out of your mother with people following you. You agree with me? Uh, maybe Jesus did. I mean, the wise men are like, yeah, 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 I'm following that guy, right? But in case you haven't realized yet, you're not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. None of us are Jesus. We're the hands and feet of Christ. We're his body, but we're not him. Right? As leaders, we don't stop learning. Students can teach us as much about our faith and ourselves as our teachers and mentors do. Right? I mean, how many times have you been teaching someone, you're like, wow, I learned a lot about myself. Like, even as a parent, I, you know, I'm just like, you know, when I look at Jesse, I'm just like, I learned a lot about me parenting as a parent or as a teacher or as a pastor or whatever. I learn a lot about myself. Our disciples um, often act as a mirror of our own priorities. Right? If we don't like what we see in our students or children, we need to evaluate whether or not the thing we don't like is a result of our influence. You hear me? Because sometimes we're like, I don't like this about you. I don't like this behavior. But a lot of times that behavior stems from the stuff that we've done. All right? There's, there's some people I've mentored that have some really crazy senses of humor. And I realize it's because I have a crazy sense of humor. And so I have, to, and I have to take responsibility of that when someone, like, says something that's inappropriate, I'm just like, yep, that's on me. I, I, didn't, I didn't do that right. All right? We should always take the attitude of a, serv of a servant. When we serve, we become devoted to, to one another, um, to disregard our, even our own interests for the sake of serving people. All right? Do I, do I think that you should, like, not eat or drink or buy clothes or, or take care of yourself in order to serve people? No, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is prefer the other person. Prefer the other person. Let's discuss Jesus from Matthew 14. John the Baptist just died. Good friend of Jesus, his cousin. They had a great relationship, and John the Baptist is beheaded. Jesus goes to be with the Father because he's grieving John the Baptist. And then 5,000 people plus women and children. So thousands of people are gathering, wanting time from Jesus, and he stops what he's doing because he's moved by compassion. He teaches them for the whole day, heals them, and then it's time to eat, and he tells the disciples, hey, let's gather some food. And he blesses it and multiplies it. There's so much food that all these baskets are left over. Then, whenever it's done, he goes back to be with the Father. 
don't think that just because you're in the middle of your suffering, that means that everybody's interests are no longer valid until you're done grieving. It is a hard thing to grieve. It is a hard thing to be in that place of suffering. Jesus was in the place of suffering, grieving over his friend. But there's going to be things that demand your time still. And are you going to be like, sorry, I got to take care of me. Sorry, thousands of people. You don't matter right now because I got to take care of me. There's a time and a place for that. But if you're going to be like Christ, his default was always, there will be time for me to process this right now. I'm going to be a servant. I'm going to be a servant. All right? Jesus washing his disciples' feet. All right? Jesus constantly teaching and healing people. Jesus constantly being around and, and helping. And, and honestly, like he just lived the life of a servant. Jesus did not come to be served. And neither should we. We should be moved with compassion as Jesus was. And at the moments that that. People need our time being like, okay, I need to pause this that's happening right now and take care of this responsibility. Never assume we are better or know more as leaders. Uh, we are guides, not know-it-alls, correct? All right, judgmentalism in leaders has sidelined them because they can no longer be effective. Complaining about your disciples does not yield change in their heart or behavior. Would you agree with that? All right, if you're just complaining about your kids, let me, let, me t let me give you a quick update. That's not gonna change your kids just because you complained about them, all right? I know that from personal experience. 1 Corinthians 4.15, 4, a father's heart or a mother's heart goes a long way, all right? That scripture says there's 10,000 teachers or 10,000 voices that are vying for our attention, all right? Some of those voices, CNN, Fox, school, work, family, social media, all right? All, there's 10,000 voices that are constantly vying for attention. But we don't have many mothers and fathers. We have a lot of people that are willing to tell their opinion to you, but not a lot of people that are going to pull you alongside and say, hey, let's, let's walk through this together. I don't invest a lot of my time with people that are just full of opinions. I just don't. But I do invest a lot of my time in people that value relationship. I do. That is a priority for me, personally. All right, being a leader is as simple as grabbing a top-shelf item for someone who's unable to reach it. All right, Christina can attest to this. We'll be at the grocery store, and because I'm a tall guy, I can reach the top shelf, and there will be, you know, some, some short people, and they'll be like, Hey, Mr. Man, can you reach that thing for me? I'm just like, yes, I can. You ever be in that position where you had to ask someone to reach the top shelf item? It's okay, don't be shy. Short people, the, the, shortness does not mean badness. I tell Christine all the time, I wish I was short so I don't get smacked in the head with tree limbs. Every time we go on wide, swag. And Christine's like, I wish I was tall so I can actually drive the car and <laughs> reach the pedals. <laughs> All right, shortness and tallness is not equate goodness or badness. All right, but as a leader, it's, it's just different. All right, you're just, you're, you're able to reach something that's, that that other person can't reach because you've, you've been trained to reach for it. You have access all right, that person down there does not necessarily have access. Through their own limitations, they don't have what it takes. So they need to ask, like, hey, so-and-so, can you help me reach that? All right? I have a father-in-law who is absolutely wonderful. And my mother-in-law is equally wonderful. And, but both of them have different things that they reach. All right, my father-in-law my father knows the word and like his study of scripture from everything that I've noticed is very accurate. And so I'm like, hey, I don't have understanding here. And I'm like, can you help me reach for that understanding? And then my mother-in-law, who is very prophetic and very close to Jesus, I'm just like, I'm not hearing God rightly about this situation. Can you help me reach for that revelation? 
As leaders, we just help people reach for the things that they cannot access. We're servants. And we shouldn't be quick to reject someone just because they are rejecting us. If we're mature, love will cover a multitude of sins. So if you're a leader and you're being rejected, guess what? So is Jesus. Like if you're being rejected, you're in good company because lots of people rejected Jesus. Jesus didn't die on the cross because people loved him. Am I right? He died on the cross because they rejected him. They wanted nothing what what he had to offer. Or even Peter, who did love him, rejected him. So when people reject you, it's okay. Like, just simply say, you know what? I'm going to reject this spirit of rejection, and I'm going to love them regardless. When they're ready, they may accept it, and there may be a time that they never do. But it doesn't mean that you carry that spirit of rejection as a leader, because that's going to be manifest in other people and other relationships later on. Always reject that spirit of rejection. It will not benefit you, I promise. Having that spirit is never going to benefit you, ever. If you don't hear anything else, some of you need to hear this. Reject that spirit of rejection. Anytime you feel that feeling come up, like that person's rejecting me, like you just simply say, but I'm accepted by God. And you just remind yourself of the truth of God. So I have a question for you as we close up. Question, what's more important to you, your opinion or the relationship? You don't have to, you don't have to answer now. I just want you to think about that. <laughs> Diana's just like, I already know the answer. I got the answer to the test. Choose life. Yes, Jesus. <laughs> but think about it in your own life. As you guys are processing your week, what's more important to you, your opinion or the relationship? Because there would be times that someone has a different opinion than me, and I have to be like, because if I I cast my pearls before swine in this situation, it's just not going to turn out well. So I have to know when to have grace. I have to know when to speak up. There's not a blanket answer for every situation. Uh, Especially today, our culture is a powder keg of opinions. All right, Afghanistan, powder keg of opinions. COVID, powder keg of opinions. Are those in the school system are dealing with a lot of powder keg opinions, right? (laughs) I know parents that won't send their kids to school because the school's mandating masks. And then other parents won't send their kids to school because they they won't. (laughs) And then the teachers are stuck between a rock and a hard place because they're just like, I love you and just trying to do my best here. We're going to be praying for them next week because this is a hard year for them. It's a hard year for the kids. It's a hard year for the families. It's a hard year for teachers. But whenever you're in a situation and you think that you have the right answer and you just need to post it on Facebook, right? All the Facebook theologians and Facebook philosophers and Facebook politicians out there, let me just tell you, all right, you're not going to change anybody's mindset on Facebook. Just FYI. If you don't know that by now, you're welcome. That was a freebie. Let's start caring more about the relationships. Let's start caring more about the relationships. So in conclusion, we need a fellowship with the word, with the spirit, and with, the, and with other believers. We need to reject disappointment, dismissal, distraction, and deception in order to come into fellowship with other believers. Uh, We need the IKEA method of inclusion, kindness, encouragement, and accountability of treating others in the assembly of the church so we can be unified and carry the glory of God. Uh, We need to be a fellowship of believers in all of our relationships, whether we're leaders, peers, or disciples. And lastly, if I can sum all of this up, in all these three weeks of teaching, sum it all up in one... One phrase, healthy relationships in the body of Christ will assemble a functional, thriving, useful church that is strong and glorious. It can withstand the attacks of the enemy and shine as a ready bride for an eager bridegroom. As the lighthouse, we need to shine to the community. We need to shine as 
a church. We need to shine as individuals coming together so we can shine as the church. We need to shine with the glory of God to have glorious relationships so that the people who see us, they're like, wow, those people are a true family. Those people really love each other. Those people have each other's backs. Those people support one another. Worship team, if you would come forward and everybody stand up to your feet. Father, we come before you and we ask, build your church, God. Holy Spirit, dwell within us in fullness. So we, when we come here on Sunday mornings, we're not coming just to sing a song or hear a word. We're coming to join together, to be your bride. But Lord, we need your help. We don't always have the right answer. But Lord, love covers a multitude of sins. Help us to love as only you know how to do. Love through us. May the world know we are Christians by our love. First, our love for you, then our love for each other. Lord, I stand here asking you, Lord, help me. Just right where you're at, if you need if you need the Lord to help you to love other people, to be the church, just lift your hands and say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Lord, as we rebuild, Lord, rebuild our lives, rebuild our relationships, rebuild our faith, rebuild hope, God. Rebuild. We've gone through a divine demolition over the past two years in the lighthouse, God. And now it's time to rebuild. Lord, may your grace rebuild us. Empower us to be a shining bride for your kingdom. We love you and we submit to your authority and surrender to your love. In Jesus' name, amen.